Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. My name is Hunter, but this is our quest. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. I am your host, and yes, my name is Hunter. And on today's episode, I sit down with an old friend of mine named Bill Rapier. Um, He's a guy that had a big impact on my life as a young man. Um, we met when I was in middle school and he was just starting his Navy career. Uh, he's a 20 year Navy veteran. He spent three years on SEAL Team 3 and then 14 years on the Navy Special Warfare Development Group or DevGru, where he was pretty much did everything. He was an assaulter, a sniper, a breacher, team leader, uh, troop chief, and military working dog department senior enlisted advisor. So, like I said, he did pretty much everything. Uh, really cool guy, extremely knowledgeable about um, shooting and self-defense, and that's actually what he does now. He has two businesses. Uh, one's called Amtac Blades, and the other one's called Amtac Shooting, uh, which is the short for American Tactical Shooting Instruction, uh, where he trains uh, civilian guys, as well as some law enforcement and even some military on uh, precision rifle shooting, um, self-defense, knife work, Um, pistol combatives and just a bunch of stuff he's one of the top guys in the industry as far as tactical training goes um, and just a super solid dude Uh, we talk about his faith um, his his background and his journey into the navy um, and just kind of what he's up to now and his philosophy on training and fitness and all kinds of good stuff so stick around it's a really cool episode i hope you enjoy So welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. I'm here with my good old friend, Bill Rapier. There's a bio on your website, but why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit just briefly about your career and just background. Awesome. Well, Hunter, first off, thanks for uh, having me on. It's great to see you. It's been a long time. I know, man. A uh, little bit about myself. I spent 20 years in the service, uh, a couple years at SEAL Team 3, and then the last 14 and some change uh, at Naval Special Warfare Development Group in Virginia Beach. And that's where Hunter and I got to know each other. And so just going back, so it says here on your website, positions held included assaulter, breacher, sniper, team leader, troop chief, and military working dog department senior enlisted advisor. So you pretty much did everything, sounds like, huh? Yeah, I got to do quite a bit. It was, uh, like I said, it was a good, it was a good run. Yeah, man. So... Um, just a little bit of background. So when I was probably in middle school, uh, you were, you came to our church and you were like a youth group volunteer, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was no, there was no young adults group. So I can't say that I went into it thinking <laughs> I wanted to volunteer with middle schoolers, but that's just kind of what all the young adults did at, at, uh, at that church at the time. So I kind of got sucked in, ended up being a great blessing. Uh, just to be able to, you know, invest in the lives of uh, lots of uh, young young men, mostly. Yeah, man, that was cool. And, um, you know, I think you were traveling a lot at the time and stuff, but I do remember 
for some reason thinking it'd be a good idea to wrestle you a couple times and getting destroyed (laughs) (laughs) obviously (laughs) but uh but yeah man um I, I don't know. I was drawn to you as a as a young guy, and um, just thought you were cool. And um, and then I remember one time. I think I got a little older. I think I may have been probably maybe in college. I'm not really sure. But I invited you when I was home to go on like a little little hunt and camping trip. You remember that? I do. Yeah. <laughs> and the biggest part I remember about that is like. I think I texted you before. I was like, "Hey, man. So like, uh, you know, what what tent you bring in? You're like. I ain't bringing a tent. <laughs> and I was like, what? You're going to go camping without a tent? And then, like, we're out there. I was like, all right, well, if he's not bringing a tent, like, I guess I don't need a tent. And then, like, we're out there, and we're just sleeping, you know, like, under the stars, and I'm getting destroyed by mosquitoes and, like, not sleeping at all. And I just look over, and you're, like, out, like, sawing logs. Yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun trip. Yeah, man. And then that's, that's when you kind of um, – actually talk to me about getting my concealed carry permit and starting to carry. So, um, I know you do a lot of training with civilians now, so that's, that's something that was always kind of uh, important to you, huh? Definitely. I've been into the, the shooting, fighting, combative aspect of, of my job for, well, since before I was in the Navy, I was into doing that kind of stuff. And so, uh, when I retired about six and a half years ago now from the Navy, uh, we started American Tactical Shooting Instruction, also known as Amtac Shooting. And that's what I do full time now is I travel around the country and teach good Americans how to protect themselves and their families better. We do maybe 25 percent or so of law enforcement as well. And then we'll get a couple of mill guys that will show up from time to time. Cool. But the focus is uh, on making men more able to protect themselves and their families and I'm, I'm passionate about doing that i enjoy doing it and that's been a good it's been a good ride yeah man that's awesome um and you're also doing the amtac blades tell me a little bit about that yeah so we started that uh, about three and a half years ago now it was really it was a conversation between my friend and or between myself and one of my friends uh a guy that we refer to now as northman actual and basically we're talking about, wouldn't it be nice to have a fixed blade knife that would fit in your pocket mm. uh, and, and the sheath and all that stuff to, to go along with it. And I just thought it was a, you know, a 30, 40 minute conversation on something that would be nice to have. And my buddy had just learned how to make blades. And a few weeks later, a, a blade showed up and then through much uh back and forth and many many more prototypes about a year later i was like man this is this is really cool i don't see anyone else doing pocket fixed blade knives so i i went to the guys that i respected that were already doing mm-hmm. uh this as as a full-time job and said hey do you guys think there's a uh, a place for me to do this you know without stepping on people's toes and got the thumbs up across the board and here we are a couple of years later and it's 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 turned out into a great business nice man yeah, that's cool um and but so i want to back up before that so um tell me a little bit about you know i know you grew up as a missionary kid right yeah so um how tell me there's a little bit about you know, you're growing up, um, what that was like, your kind of personal faith journey. And, um, so just tell me how you got started in the outdoors and all that. So I, my parents were missionaries. Uh, I became a believer at a 
fairly early age. I mean, I remember making a decision to follow Christ when I was five years old. Uh, we moved to Germany shortly after that. And so we lived about eight years in Germany. Do we move to the States for maybe six months or so? That was the first time I went to an English speaking school was starting in would have been sixth or seventh, no, seventh grade, I believe it was. And then we moved to Swaziland in Southern Africa and mm. spent about two, two and a half years there and then moved to Colorado Springs. And I finished up high school there, did the last three years of high school in the Springs. Did you uh, be hunting in Africa? We, I did a, just a little bit. My dad wasn't into it at all at the time. Okay. And so I wanted to be into it, but it's hard when, mm-hmm. you know, when, when your folks aren't into it, it's hard to get into something. So yeah. I believe I got to go after Impala once and yeah, a little, little bit of hunting there, then joined the service the day after I graduated high school and, uh, you know, went Corman A school, went through buds and I was in my first, had checked into SEAL Team 3. I was in my first platoon. I remember I was driving back from Colorado. I think I'd been skiing and was, was, was driving back from, you know, from a period of leave that I had. And I remember thinking to myself that, uh, you know, I, I doctrinally, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, mm. but I looked at my life and I, I was just thinking it, if anyone was looking at my life right now, they would not be able to see that I'm a believer. And so I started praying and asking God to give me a desire to change because, mm. you know, I was drinking and having a good time and uh i really didn't want to but i i felt you know the conviction of the holy spirit just saying hey this is not this is not the plan yeah. that i have for you and so just started asking god to give me a desire to change and start getting in the word and reading and got plugged in with a church in san diego and got plugged in with some small groups and actually you know, it wasn't the first time I'd read my Bible, but I, it felt like it was the first time I actually was reading my Bible and <laughs> yeah, I know uh, what you mean. just, you know, starting to understand a little bit of God's word. And yeah, it was a very uh, a good a turning point, so to speak, in my life where I decided yeah. I, I want to be serious about my faith. And I guess to put it into uh, the, the, the words that I would use today is, is actually make Christ Lord of my life not just, yeah. uh, you know, saying the sinner's prayer and, and everything's good. You know, I feel like that that's one of the, uh, I, I would say big deceptions within modern evangelicalism is this, Hey, just, just say the words, say the sinner's right. prayer, you get your fire insurance and then you can do whatever you want to. <laughs> yeah. And biblically, I, I don't see that as, uh, as the model, you know, repenting was, was turning away from sin, following after God. Uh, I like to use the example of a fighter. If you, if you go to, to go jujitsu, let, let's use my old uh, Gustavo Machado. If you, if you guys are listening to this at the beach and you want to do jujitsu, that's where you need to go. So All let's right. say that you go to Guga's school and uh, you have an amazing experience there. And then the next day you're like, it's, it's time to go train. And you realize that your gi was rolled up on the floor and it's all nasty and moldy now. And like, so you don't train that day and you're pretty sore. And then the next day you're like, man, I got this deep soreness. Like I'm going to give it a day. And this continues. And five years later, like maybe you still have a t-shirt that says jujitsu on it, 
but are you actually a guy that does, are you a fighter or are yeah. you someone that had an emotional experience one time at a gym and thought it was cool and then went away and left the path. Mm. So I kind of right. look at our faith as, as the same thing. There's, if, if we're actual followers of Christ, then there's going to be fruit. There is going to be a, there are going to be changes and the changes don't, you know, it's not by works that we're saved. It's by faith alone, mm-hmm. and, you know, in Christ alone. But that, that faith and that following of Christ and that turning away from sin produces in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good. All, all of those things are the natural outpouring. Just like you're into hunting when guys first get into hunting, they can't stop telling you about it. They're like, Oh man. And then I was in my tree stand and then I did this and this buck was so close. You know, it's like guys are really passionate about it because they're into it. Well, that's what our faith should be. If we're actually passionate about following Christ, that should be the most important thing in our lives. And we should be going after that. And, mm-hmm. and that should just be a natural outpouring is that, Hey, if I'm, if I'm spending enough time, Try, you know, trying to make God the most important thing in my life, and that is naturally going to pour out. I'm naturally going to uh, to speak that into other people's lives. Yeah, man, that's so good. Like, I was, I found myself in a similar situation too. You know, prayed the prayer when I was a little kid, but then, you know, I, I struggle with that too about you know the losing your salvation thing because, man, the the place I allowed myself to get to. I don't know if I would consider myself saved, but like, I know I had this experience as a kid, so I still haven't figured that all out. But then there, there was that, uh, like you said, making Jesus the Lord of your life and actually living it. And the Bible is full of, of talking about, you know, our actions do matter, you know? Um, sure. And so that, that's huge. And, and like you said too, I mean, um, a lot of guys don't realize it's just like fitness. Like you have to be consistent and like work on it every day, this relationship with God or else it's just going to be like that rolled up moldy ghee in your corner. Absolutely. And I, I like the, I, I listened to your, your opening podcast uh, earlier oh, cool. this morning and, and I liked how you put it in terms of spiritual fitness. Cause I, I think yeah. that's a, uh, just like fitness takes discipline. Spiritual fitness takes discipline as well. Right. Sitting down and and reading your Bible, memorizing scripture, prayer, like all those things are not easy. I feel like sometimes people, I almost feel bad when when they talk about it and they say, oh, well, it's so easy for me to read the Bible and it's so easy for me to do this. And it's like, and for me, a lot of times it's not like it's it's to sit down and I've got a million things going through my mind and I'm thinking about, well, I got to get the day started. But I, I recognize that this is more important that I sit down and read the Bible and spend time in prayer, you know, with my, with my wife and, you know, read the mm-hmm. word with her, uh, because that is, that that's more important than whatever else you think is more important at the time. Yeah. And I feel like some people think that like spirituality or whatever, such like an ethereal thing, or like, it's just going to happen and it doesn't take that discipline or that work. Like they are related, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it's also the whole concept of, people rely on their emotions way Mm -hmm. too much. Like you will have, you know, when people say, follow your heart, no, don't follow your heart. Our our hearts are, (laughs) are, are deceptive and wicked. Like follow God's word. That's like a lot of times we have to preach God's word to our own hearts because otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to do the right thing. Uh, And so, yeah, it's just, uh, people are overly, 
attuned, I would say, to, to what their emotional state is in, instead of just yeah. going, OK, this is what God's word says and, and, and having joy in the midst of hardship, in the yeah. midst of things not going well for you. Uh, because if we if we truly have joy that comes from following Christ, we can have that in our lives regardless of circumstance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a saying in, in like the world of recovery. It says like feelings are not fact. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, so much of today's culture is do what feels right. Exactly. Um, oh, I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Therefore I'm going to move on to the next right. marriage and the next marriage. And, you know, just like love is a decision that you make. Yeah. There's some bubbly Absolutely. feelings sometimes. Uh, hopefully more times than not, there's public feeling, but there's also like, it's a decision and it's hard uh -huh. sometimes. And it's a, you're making a commitment to love a person. Absolutely, man. Um, so I do want to get more into that stuff later too, but, um, so you, you kind of got saved right as you were, is that when you were sort of starting your career as a seal or like around that time? Yeah, I was, I was, a I was maybe a couple years into the team, something like okay. that, uh, okay. you know, so definitely like going, like going through buds and all that, like definitely say that was probably an idol in my life. Like I wanted to make it through regardless of, of what, like, you know, I mean, just looking back on it, probably more, uh, more emphasis than I would, you know, counsel my, my children if they were right. going to go do that. Uh, because it's not the most important thing, right? God, God, family, country. And, and so while it is, it is important, uh, you know, faith, faith in Christ is more important. Yeah, man. So did your, um, I mean, everyone, you know, knows and everyone talks about, you know, how insanely hard buds is and, um, was your faith ever a factor in helping you get through that whole thing? It was, uh, I do remember, I'd memorized Philippians 419. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I remember saying to myself to, you know, saying that to myself over and over and over again, you know, during times where it was really cold, you know, and guys, <laughs> guys don't get it, but that's, you know, when you ask any, any of the guys that went through a winter hell week, what, what was the worst? It's hands down. It's, it's being cold, mm. just, you know, continuously being cold. Was there ever a time when, uh, that thought crept in your head, like ring that bell. Oh, sure. I mean, there's times where I was like, man, I like, I, you know, you kind of look at it as I just need to get through one, one evolution. Like I just got to get through this next, you got to get through this next part, got to get through this next part. And you know, that's, man, I, I remember it was Tuesday night, which Tuesday night is like a big, big night for getting quitters. Uh, just over and over again, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And just kind of meditating on that while you're running with the boat on your yeah. head and locking arms and marching into the surf zone and you know, doing can all the fun and games. Yeah. You know, I remember some times where I'm like, man, this is, you know, this isn't good. And then just kind of praying and meditating on verses and, and all right, we just got to get through this evolution and then kind of trying to just drive it out of your head. Yeah, man. So then you made it through that, obviously, and um, after, I guess, a few years, you know, your faith became more of a part of your life, like you said. Were there ever times in your working career where, you know, you were, like, tangibly helped by your relationship with God? Or, like, maybe you were super scared or whatever, and, like, you really r relied on God? Yeah, well, 
yes and it's hard to quantify sure. uh but just just having the knowledge you know having assurance salvation right through christ not because anything that i've done because of what christ did for me on the cross i know where i will go when i die and that is hugely comforting to me now and was hugely comforting to me you know on our way to go do scary stuff and yeah there was times where i was you know felt very very nervous like you know kind of pre-wrestling match butterflies in your stomach but but more more than that uh and you know so having that knowledge of of where i'm gonna go was was hugely comforting for me Mm, yeah how do you think like your faith makes you or made you a better man or a better soldier or warrior or uh you know whatever it may be hunter i, I think just being able to you know one, one of my favorite quotes is from stonewall jackson uh and it's and i'm gonna paraphrase a little bit here but he says that uh i think his, his quote was captain my belief teaches me uh to feel as safe in battle as i do in bed uh, right. The hour of my death has been fixed over that. And I, I do not concern myself. Uh, and if, if all men live that way, then everyone would be equally brave. So I think just having that, uh, you know, that awareness that we are, we have a limited amount of time, you know, as I get older, I'm 44 right now. Like I'm, I'm talking in terms of 30 years, maybe 40 years. If I, if I, get an extra few, but you know, like that, that's honestly, that's not that much time. Yeah. And so we need to leave, live that not in fear or not in, in trying to be as safe as possible, but, but live it in a manner that is most glorifying to God. And if that means, you know, I die tomorrow, you know, or next time I'm flying to a trip, like, so be it. Yeah. Or if it means I die at 85 in bed, so be it. Like I'm, I'm good with, with either of those options. Uh, just as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of this quote that always stood out to me. It's like, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said like, it was one of those great missionary guys. He was like, I am immortal until God is done with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great, great way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any like uh, life verses? I know you mentioned the Philippians one. Do you have any other ones that stand out? Man, I I memorized Romans eight a couple years ago. The whole chapter. Yeah, and that's been hugely helpful. Uh, I would also say the Navigators put out the topical memory system. Phenomenal. I could dig into it and, and look, but I mean, there's. I think it's, it, there's different times where different verses stick out to you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe the, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's, there's it's so many, good. I feel like they, they talk to you at different times <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. As, as far as, you know, where, where you are in life. I mean, that's, yeah, that's man. why it's, you know, sharp as any two edged sword, right? Yeah. Separating bone from marrow. Mm-hmm. The sword <laughs> I mean, of the that's, spirit. That's the word of God. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's living and that, that's why you get something out of it every time you read it. Yep. And it's the only offensive weapon given in the full armor of God is the, the sword yep. of the spirit. Um, but when I was preparing for, for talking to you, the verse that came to me that like, I don't know if God just gave me this verse, like I think you would like it. I mean, I'm sure you've heard it before, but Romans five, three, uh, 
But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces confidence. Yeah, that's that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, so it just reminds me of all the, like it's like physical training, you know, weapons training, spiritual training. Uh, you get in there, and like maybe it's the gym. You make yourself suffer a little bit every day, but uh, you know by the end of it you produce in yourself endurance, which produces confidence and you can just walk into any situation confident. I think that's something that you probably teach and instill a lot in your programs. Absolutely. My mindset is a huge factor of, of, uh, all the courses that I teach. In fact, it's the, I, I do it on, uh, the, the beginning. It's the first thing that we do on day two of a course is we start with a mindset talk and, I, I do it on day two, you know, even though I think it's the, the most important thing that we talk about, uh, we, we do it on day two because, uh, I feel like I've, I've usually earned a little bit of credibility yeah. to, to talk to guys a little bit more openly by, by the morning of day two. And it is, you know, it's the most important thing. And I get to share the gospel now as well, because we yeah. talk about death and, and, you know, being ready for death and the whole, like the, the cultural people talk about a good death and, you know, whether you die with a sword in your hand or you die asleep in bed, like a, a good death comes by knowing Christ. Absolutely. That, yeah. That's how you'll have a good death. When I was looking at your, at your website, um, amtacshooting.com, you have a lot of good articles on there, but, uh, the one that stood out to me, it's called primary philosophy just the paragraph it says I am a Christian as I started thinking about what the first topic would be that I would write about I considered writing about proper mindset or the importance of fitness and tactical training or even my primary training philosophy but as I stepped back and thought about what is most important I kept coming back to one thing Christ without Christ as your personal Lord and Savior winning a violent confrontation only means delaying eternal separation from him for another 30 30 or 40 years so I felt that before I dive into any of the finer points of training to survive a violent confrontation, I should be clear on the most important thing, being right with God. I thought that was awesome. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel that like physical fighting or warfare techniques translate into spiritual warfare? I think that the disciplines are a crossover. You know, if you want to be able to fight, you need to train to fight. You need to, you know, be strong, watch your diet, be deliberate about training, like all those things. They don't directly correlate, right? You're not better at, you know, your prayer life because you can hit hard. <laughs> However, the discipline that it takes to be able to hit hard those same skills can be used to discipline yourself to do more prayer, sure. you know, or to read the word more or to do, you know, and anything along those lines. So I think there is you know, some ancillary crossover, but it's not a direct crossover. I mean, I think about, you know, what Paul says where, you know, you know, physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is of great value or yeah. immense value, something along those lines. And it's actually something that is convicting to me at times, uh, and I've changed some stuff. Like I used to, when I would go out and run, you know, do my, my hour run or hour and a half run or whatever, like I would listen, you know, to like some techno music or just something, you know, something that's like mindless that is just yeah. like, you know, has, as beats going. And, uh, 
or I would listen to just random podcasts. And I would say probably 90 plus plus percent of the time that I run now, I listen to sermons mm-hmm. uh, because I was thinking about it. I'm like, cause I felt convicted. I'm like, I ru- I'll run an hour to an hour and a half, you know, continuously at least once a week. And then I'll do a couple other shorter runs. When was the last time I sat down and prayed for an hour and a half? Yeah. You know? And, and so it's like, I'm, so in along those lines, I'm like, I should be, I should be listening to stuff, either that or like turning all the music off and then just doing scripture memory review in my mind. Yeah. You know, that, which is another like hugely beneficial thing is just as, as you're, as you're running to, to just meditate on God's word and go, th- go through, try to go through every Bible verse that you can remember. Yeah. And just go through all that. And then as that spawns prayer, you know, or as you know, people are popping into your head, be praying for them. Yeah. It goes into, um, you know, when we're, when we give our lives to Christ or whatever, we're reborn in the spirit and we're made perfect in the spirit, but it's kind of on us to renew our minds. Yeah. And that, that takes that discipline and that, you know, like you're saying, you know, redeem that time while you're running for an hour and a half to fill yourself with the word and not like some mindless garbage or something. Exactly. You know, redeem the time. We only, right. I'm working on the the 30 year plan right now. Right. What's, what's, you know, where am I going to be in 30 years? I don't know. Maybe, maybe still here. Maybe, maybe six feet under. Yeah. Um, And it goes back to living ready, you know, like um, if you, you know, if you encounter somebody that needs prayer, like, and just as you're going along, you know, you want to be full of the word and full of the spirit at that moment when you need it. Not, Hey, I got to go home and uh, pray and fast for a week and I'll come back and pray for you. <laughs> you know what I Amen. mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be, you know, to be always ready. Right. Because it's not, uh, you know, that the times will come at you when you're not expecting yeah. you know, people to, to want to talk about, about spiritual things, but, mm-hmm. but that's the, you know, when God opens the door, that's when we need to jump in and be, you know, be bold in our faith. And I mean, then just being bold in your faith is another thing that is, it is a practice thing. Mm. Oh yeah. The more, the more you are bold in your faith and you know, are open to sharing the gospel and saying, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I believe. Yeah. I screw up sometimes. And that's, you know, fortunately God, God gave us grace. Yeah. Uh, but the, the more you can do that, it, it becomes something that becomes more and more part of, of you. Absolutely. Yeah. It can be super awkward at first, but then once you kind of break through and you try it and you kind of practice it, you know, get some reps, it becomes much more second, second nature. And it's kind of like, also like, you know, that whole part about, um, uh, being ready. It's like operating off commander's intent. You know, you might not get a, a specific leading for every situation, but you know what God would have you do in that situation and you just do it. Yeah. Which that was verbiage we would use. <laughs> I, I, I dropped that in for you. Is this. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Solid. Um, <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit, um, tell us just a little bit about what you kind of do at one of your training courses for Amtac shooting. So I kind of teach the full gamut, uh, you know, everything from pistol, pistol combatives to carbine work to precision rifle to environmental stuff. Uh, 
But I, I would say that the stuff that I am most passionate about would be the pistol combatives. It's also the, what I feel like is most uh, most applicable for guys, right? That's one of the things we talk about during mindset talk is you, know, you as you look at what you want to be ready for, what you want to prepare for, start with the most likely and, and then move on through most dangerous. Uh, because if you start with most dangerous you lose your mind, you know, because it's, it's, it's just too big, too broad, you know, too big of a chunk to bite off at once. So we look at what's, what is most likely to happen? Well, run out of gas or the end of the world, <laughs> right? Everyone yeah. going crazy, complete anarchy, right? Running out of gas. So fill up your vehicle at a, at a half tank. What's more likely that you are in a violent confrontation, you know, someone's robbing you, you know, attempted assault, something like that, or the end of the world, right? Probably yeah. attempted assault is significantly higher likelihood. Mm-hmm. Therefore, learn, you know, the, our first thing is awareness. You know, increase in situational awareness a lot of times can get us what, what I call a higher level win. Yeah. Uh, higher level win is not having to engage in violence or to engage in a lower level of violence than is required. Mm-hmm. Or then that might even be, you might be justified using a higher level of violence, but because of your training and awareness, you're able to resolve the situation with a lower level of violence, which ends up being better for all parties involved. Yeah. Uh, like I heard another podcast where you're talking about like um, not getting into a confrontation because you know, probably the end of that could be you killing someone. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the the thing is, like, when you're, if you train, I mean, if you're, if you're serious about doing this, you're going to train and you're going to carry tools with you because it doesn't matter if you if you train every day and then when you leave when you leave your house you don't carry tools, you're not actually serious about training. You're serious about, you know, putting holes in paper, which is fun for some people. <laughs> uh, if you're serious about protecting yourself and your family, you, you have to have the awareness, you have to train, uh, and then you also have to carry tools and you have to be willing as well. You have to think through, okay, when, when am I willing to go to guns? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just, you know, have, having stuff on you, right. Is, is going to be a, a key component of, of, of winning anything. So I, I generally try to, you know, if, if you said, Hey, we want to, we want to do a class here and, you know, Bob each, um, what class should we do first? It would be one of the pistol courses, which we have like five different flavors of pistol courses. Now, everything from, you know, classes that have more responsible armed citizen, lots of pistol fundamentals, a little bit of intro to combatives. We have integrated combatives, which is a little bit of pistol fundamentals, lots of, uh, blade use and lots of striking to producing tools, either blade or pistol. We have a force on force course where we, we use some hard skills, i.e., pistol and, and blade and striking and then we we put you in situations and go and so with training uh usually we use airsoft stuff on some classes i'm starting to use some utm stuff now as well uh but you know wh- what do you do when someone's actually shooting at you what does your draw stroke look like under pressure what if someone's grabbing you while while you're in the middle of something like that yeah. so kind of go we we go through that uh we're doing a low light pistol course now as well where we start that one in the afternoon and we'll shoot it day and night. So you get to see what is my shooting ability look like when I'm holding a flashlight in my hand, or maybe should I just go ahead and buy a weapons mounted light because that's way better. We yeah. all shoot better with, <laughs> with a light on our pistol. Yeah. 
Uh, so we go through that and we also do some combatives, low light combatives with, with flashlights in hand, basically. And then it's, it's what we call bleaching where you're, you're taking the guy's vision away with, with your light and then striking off of that and, and then potentially producing tools if you need them. Yeah. Uh, and then new for this year is the low visibility pistol combatives course, which is, you know, one of my mantras that I got from one of my mentors, a guy named Tom Kyer, uh, full size man, full size gun mm. to carry the, carry the pistol that you would do the best work with and then dress for it. If you're serious about it, like you don't have to wear skinny jeans and super tight <laughs> shirts, right? You can yeah. wear, wear clothes that will allow you to, to conceal your tools. And that is, I absolutely live by that mantra. However, there are certain guys that because of where they work or the nature of their job, that is not acceptable right. for them. And it could be a willingness thing as well on their part. And they just haven't gone through the willingness step yet of, okay, I'm going to dress down a little bit, or I'm going to look a little bit, I'm going to look like I gained 10 pounds <laughs> in order to carry a gun. You know, yeah. like so some yeah. of that is a willingness piece right there. So the new, the new course for this year is uh, it, it's designed around deep concealment. So if you cannot, you know, no one can see that you have a pistol on you, what does right look like? And then so training, cause a lot of guys do have small guns that they, that they carry. Right. But most guys don't train with those as much. Yeah. So why not do a class where we, where we get some reps training with our smaller pistols? Sure. I think such a huge part about this too is, you know, a lot of guys can go out and, and like you said, you know, nail targets all day and you know, whatever, but the just the aspect of thinking through these scenarios is something that's like really foreign to a lot of guys even guys that might consider themselves good shooters or they shoot a lot but they don't like that's such a huge piece of like okay when is it actually worth getting this firearm out and that's something that you talked to me a sure. lot about like when i you're talking to me about getting a concealed carry was like you don't touch that gun and you can speak to this, but unless you're like willing to kill someone, basically. 100%. Yeah. The, uh, just to speak to that particular thing, a younger me had said, don't pull your pistol out unless you are going to shoot someone. And I look back on that now. And that is, uh, that was immature. Cops pull their pistols out all the time. Uh, producing a lethal tool can have a de-escalating effect. Mm. However, you only produce that tool if you have the willingness to shoot them, i.e. something that they are doing is leading you to say, I am probably going to have to shoot this guy. But again, it's a higher level win if you don't have to. Right. So if I can see, you know, I see you approaching me. I try to verbally deescalate things. I see you have, a, you have a pipe in your hand. I place an obstacle in between myself and my threat. I'm, I'm verbally trying to let you know that this is serious. Stop right there. Like all those things. And you continue to advance on me and I decide, okay, I'm going to produce my pistol. And if he comes around the hood of the car, I'm going to burn him down. Like I'm going to shoot until the threat's no longer a threat. By me producing the pistol and threatening with it, it can allow the guy to go, oh, you know what? Maybe this is a bad idea to charge this guy. Right. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and leave. Significantly higher level win. Right. This guy gets to, he gets another chance at turning his life around and you're not tied up in court for the next two years. Yeah. Yeah, man. The will, I mean, willingness is a huge thing. Another part on that is, uh, you know, and you, and you mentioned guys that 
guys that train or maybe guys that can shoot. And there's, there's a big difference I would say between those two, when I say guys that train, it's training for violence, mm. being able to shoot is a component of that, but it's just, it's just one tool in a tool bag, right? right? I mean, you can do violence with a screwdriver. You can do violence with a brick. You can do violence with, with just about any, you know, anything in your house right there. I'm looking at all the different things. You have fixed weapons. You've got a nice antler back there that we could stab <laughs> someone with, right? There's all sorts of things that yeah. we can use as weapons that are all around us. Yeah. Right. So uh, training for violence isn't just, you know, being able to put holes in paper or be able to do jujitsu or be able to stab or, you know, any of those things, all those things are subcomponents of violence, but actually training for violence is going to involve thinking through our willingness. When am I willing to engage in violence under what circumstances am I willing to engage in violence? Uh, and then thinking through, okay, what am I, you know, actually putting it into situational drills is it's great. If you can, if you can produce your pistol and, and shoot, you know, even if you can shoot very fast, that's nice. But what does your draw stroke look like after you got punched in the face and you're getting pushed backwards yeah. and the second guy's coming in and he's stabbing at you. Yeah. Like, cause th those are the things. So I would almost liken it to the guy that understands, uh, you know, if you just go to the range and shoot, you're like the guy that understands what each piece on the chessboard can do. Mm. Right. I know that my knight goes, you know, four, two, right one or four, two, left one. <laughs> right. I, yeah. Like I, you, I know that my pawn advances normally just one, unless it's the first move and he can advance two. he can only strike, you know, diagonally forward. Right. So that's nice that, you know, all those things, but you don't actually know how to play chess until you actually start playing chess. Yeah. And, and violence ends up being the same thing to use another chess analogy. Uh, how does the guy that is, you know, the grandmaster level chess player, how does he do an incredibly complex move within five seconds? And it's correct to, you know, 30 moves deep in all different directions. Like how, how does he do that? And the, the answer is it's not, he didn't do it in five seconds. He did it in 30 years and five seconds. Yeah. He has sat there and stared at that problem, right? If the guys, you know, I'm into training you know, to be ready for violence and to teach good men and women how to be able to do the same thing. Therefore I study violence and I practice it. not in a morally, you know, nothing to do with morals. This is, right. in fact, I would say it's morally, it's the right thing to do to protect people. But so I will sit there and I will study violence and I will rep certain things because people do the same things. People do the same types of patterns. So what that chess player may have done is actually played that exact scenario that, you, that you're looking at. He might've played that for three years, twice a week mm -hmm. from both directions. So he looks at it and when he sees the problem, he's like, Oh yeah, that was 89 through 92. Uh, and therefore this is the correct move because I've, I've put the time in on that. Right. That's what we try to get to with violence as well, where we look at it and we can go, okay, the dude, the threat is advancing on me. Lateral movement. The threat is not advancing on me. I don't need to do lateral movement. Like, so just these little things that I can, that I have to key up on. Okay. The guy's drawing and I'm within reactionary gap. I got to stuff him and I've got to, start doing something offensively, which we would call feeding. I have to start giving input so that I stop him from producing his tools. And then I need to produce my tools. So why, like, as you know, as we're talking about all this stuff, why is it our duty as like men, maybe even Christian men to be ready, you know, both physically and spiritually? 
Well, number one, spiritually, I mean, that is the most important thing. I mean, ultimately everything else is, is temporary, right? Our, our, you know, and can be taken away, right? Our families can be taken away from us. All of our material possessions can be taken away from us. Our faith in Christ cannot, you know, that is the one thing as I instill in my children to memorize scripture. I tell them, I tell them that your faith in Christ and the, the scripture that you hide in your heart is something that can never be taken away from mm. you. So that, that is definitely of primary importance right there to do that. Uh, as far as being ready to protect yourself and your family, uh, it's not very loving to your wife and children. If you just let someone attack them. Yeah. And the, you know, the parts in the Bible that talk about turning the other cheek, my understanding is they're, they're talking about uh, insults, not about, you know, physical violence in a, you know, robbery or assault type setting. I mean, right. Christ talked about, you know, before I told you, you know, go out with no cloaks and no swords. Now I'm going to tell you, you know, <laughs> if you have two cloaks, buy sell one and, and buy a sword. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's a, you know, there's an imperative, a moral imperative to, uh, to be able to protect ourselves and our families. Yeah, totally. What is your primary training philosophy? I would say number one, it's, it's a, it's always open, right? I, I think I have the best, I think I have the best stuff out there as far as, you know, in, in, in a lot of different aspects. Uh, however, say, saying that I have students bring stuff to me all the time and I will try it. If I think it's better, I'll try it and I will socialize it with my peers. And if it's better, guess what? It's part of my system now because it's not about creating some, you know, you've got the, you know, the Shaolin style of Kung Fu and like, you're just trying to defend that, that particular system. This is about winning. You know, this is about guys that, you know, are, are cops or mill guys or just average men winning when, you know, when the situation arises, when they are in a life and death confrontation, I want those guys to be able to come home to their families. Mm. And so it should always be about what is the best, right? If we think about it in terms of martial systems, right? So I, I, I cringe to even use the term martial arts because it is so McDojoed right now. I mean, that's when you think martial arts, you think of the, the six-year-old kid that has a black belt right. and, you know, can't actually fight his way out of a wet paper bag. Right. But if we look at what, what does martial actually mean? It means war or warlike. So martial arts would be warlike skills. So if we're actually training in warlike skills, right, fitness would be a, a component of warlike skills. Being able to shoot is a component. Being able to grapple, being able to use a blade, being able to use an impact weapon, like all of those things are components of a martial system. So really, that's that's the way we need to look at things is, hey, I am, uh, like I am training to be the best possible you most capable person that I can. And if something, and if I find something that's better, that's, that's what I'm going to start doing because it's not about why I, I do things a certain way. Why do you do it that way? Well, because that's the way we did in the teams. That's not an answer. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a really shallow, like you might be really good at doing it a certain way, but if your answer is because that's how we used to do it, that's not an answer. You should have, you know, one of the things um, through that I've gotten from Sia Kali is a, 
it's called LOT, logical order of thought. We should think through everything we should, everything that we do, we should have a, a reason basically behind doing it. Uh, for instance, when we manipulate our, our pistol, I say frame the weapon in your workspace, workspace being in between yourself and your potential threat. I do that for two reasons. Number one, awareness. If my, if my weapon if, is in between myself and where my potential threat is, then even if I'm looking at my pistol, my periphery is still looking at where my potential threat is. Mm. Uh, and then also, if the fight of our life starts now, this is a much better place to start a fight from than, you know, pistol down by my belt and me, you know, my head looking down at yeah. it. Like that. Everything that you do or don't do, whether you realize it or not, is actually part of your system. Mm-hmm. And I just want to encourage guys, you know, the, the tools that you carry, part of your system. The tools that you don't carry, also part of your system. The amount of training that you that you do or have not done is part of your system. You just, you know, most guys just don't think about it in those terms. But we should think about it if we're serious about, you know, being able to protect ourselves and our families. We should be able to, uh, okay, yeah, I, I carry these tools because this is how I like to fight. I did some boxing when I was, you know, in college. And therefore, I like to throw shots like this, which sets me up for producing a pistol from here. Or I carry my pistol this way because... I'm in a suit and tie all day long and no one can see that I have a pistol on me. Therefore I carry a smaller pistol. I carry it right here. You know, whatever it is, like all those things are part of your system and you should think through every aspect of that and mm-hmm. be, you know, so that, I mean, it just goes along with, with readiness of being as ready to go as possible. So what, what's your personal, like fitness, both physical and spiritual look like, like, do you follow a reading plan or, Anything like that? I, I don't follow a reading plan. My kind of go-to for the last few years is I'll read one of the gospels and then I read through the rest of the new Testament. And then I read another gospel and then go through the rest of the new Testament. Do you have like a routine that you, that you do? Yes. Yeah, so we do it in the, in the mornings. And and this is one of the things I know in the, the primer email that you sent, you talked about like marriage stuff. Well, th- this is something that I didn't start doing until a few years ago. And I really want to, you know, if I could reach back in time and choke myself for not having done this, like I would, but just being deliberate about, Hey, we get up in the morning and we have a time of reading the word, you know, with my wife. And then we have a time of prayer and then we'll, we'll talk about our day. And that is a huge, huge benefit. And I would just, I would really encourage anyone that is listening you know, it might take, you might not be the the early riser or she might not be the early riser and you got to work through that, but it's huge to be able to actually spend that time in prayer, in the word together. And then, you know, you're just kind of starting your day off on, on the right track. Yeah. So how about physically? Like, what do you, what, how do you stay kind of at where you think is ready? So the, Fitness stuff that I do now, I do a lot of barefoot style running, mm. which uh, is just, you know, it's, it's winter time here, so I'm doing less of it. Right. Uh, but I've, I've really gotten into that. I I feel like I'm way healthier since since doing specifically the barefoot style. It basically, it you run the way God designed you to run, not the way Nike wants you to run, right. where you smash your heel every time you, you, you take a, you know, stride that's mm-hmm. a few inches longer than than you can if you're running barefoot style uh 
so that uh it's winter time right now. I, I do a lot of skiing. I actually, I did a, a 20 mile backcountry ski yesterday. It took us like nine and a half hours. Oh, wow. We climbed about 3,300 vertical. It was, it was good. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was dark. You know, we we're on headlamps for the last like hour and a half or two hours mm-hmm. of it. And just moving through the mountains. Amazing. Like there's just something about, you know, being out there and, they're yeah. very, very cool. So, you know, stuff like that and and that kind of stuff, I almost look at as, as benchmarks. We, we do all of our other fitness so that we can go out and do something cool like that, that we enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, I don't normally go out and ski 20 miles, you know, self-propelled, yeah. uh, you know, normal, you know, frequent, you know, usually one or two times a week, I'll go out and ski an hour or two just on my own. And then, you know, I lift ski a lot as well. Uh, cool. So, Skiing would be a big, a big fitness thing that I do rucking as the, as the weather gets better, just putting a load on and, and, and moving. Yeah. I think that's one of the truest tests of, of fitness to be able to, to have a load on. I recommend varying your weights going from what I consider modern Minuteman load out in that, you know, the 25 to 30 pound range that really, I don't feel like it slows me down a whole lot. Like I know my, my skiing does not suffer or suffers very, very little with that weight of pack on my movement up and down hills suffers very, very little with that weight on. Once you jump up to like a 50 pound pack, you start to feel it both in oh, skiing yeah. and in, in your movement ability. Uh, but I do think it's, it's also good to do 50, 60 pound rocks. And then every once in a while, normally once, maybe twice in a season, I load the beast into the, <laughs> so the 88 pound kettlebell. Ooh. Oof. with a bunch of old camis into into a pack and i'll throw a few more things in there try and make it about 100 pounds and then just go suffer for a little while yeah uh, but I, to me that that's one of those it, it it makes everything else feel lighter if you if you can do that from time to time just suffer with a, a pretty heavy weight yeah yeah i was on uh, your website about like how you should leave the gym feeling strong but once or twice a month crush yourself <laughs> That is, uh, yeah, that's a Pavel Tsadolin quote. Like I cannot take credit for that one, but I've most definitely taken that and made it my own. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just not, you know, not having that mindset of you got to leave it all in the gym every single time, Yeah, which is how I came up working out. You know, just give me one more, give me one more rep, give me one more rep. And so you're just like shredding yourself every time. And especially, especially as I get older, I look at it. It's, it's no longer just give me one more. It's, it's, I will take the attitude much more of, okay, I'm doing squats and I'm doing three or four sets of four. And on my last set, you know, I'm going to do one less (laughs) because I want to stay healthy and strong. And like, I probably don't need that one extra rep and the the danger of going, well, I just got to go one more. I got to go one more is that you injure yourself. Right. And when you injure yourself, you cannot do your primary job of protecting yourself and your family. And then also you're weaker when you come back because now I'm down for two months or now now I've got to completely change. You know, a lot of guys will just stop working out better. If you're injured is figure out some sort of workout that you can do that doesn't aggravate the injury, Yeah, but it's still, you're going to come back with, you know, generally you're going to come back weaker. Right. And then you've got to get back after it again. And so I, I went through many, many years of just constantly, I would get stronger. I would, you know, cause I want, I, approached it as I want to be as strong as possible. So I go hard, 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 hurt. Yeah. Not no lifting for a while. Hard, 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 hurt. 
and you just your actual your trajectory is actually going down yeah. when you're doing that. So it's much better to just uh, you know train like it is your job to be healthy. So now as as I you know my top three fitness goals are number one be healthy, number two have endurance, and number three be strong. Because my, I mean, you look at it. Okay. So I'm, I'm running around at two, I was two seventeen this morning. Oh, that's kind of winter weight for me right now. <laughs> uh, so me at two seventeen, if I'm a little bit stronger, a little bit less strong, how many guys does that translate into me beating or not beating? Hmm. You, you know, with, with no tools, just like, let's just say just grappling, like me being 10 pounds stronger. How many guys do I beat that? I don't beat at two twenty. Yeah. Or better yet, like where I try to be is 205, 210 ish. Like, how many guys do I not beat at 210 that I beat at 220? Probably not a whole lot. Uh, but how much faster do I move if I'm at 210 or 205? Mm. Significantly faster. Yeah. Right. And if I'm injured because I'm trying to get just a little bit stronger, like worth it. now I've got an actual shoulder injury that I'm nursing which actually has true weakness now when I'm, when I'm grabbing on and trying to move someone like that's how you lose mm -hmm. or that, you know, there's potential for losing there. If you, uh, you because you can't move like you would normally move. Right. So health endurance and then strength being the last one. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about willingness, you know, it's kind of like, are you willing to wear some baggier clothes and, you know, maybe not be working on your six pack all the time or whatever, but being ready, you know, is more important than, the aesthetics and stuff. Why, why are you working out? Like, I mean, that's, right. I would just go back to that. Like, are you working out so that you have a super low body fat percentage so that you look good and, you know, at the beach? I, I mean, maybe for some guys that is like, that is the goal, right? That that's not my goal. I yeah. want to be healthy, have endurance and be strong. Yeah. So do you, uh, do you do any hunting out there? When, when we first moved here, we, you know, we'd go elk hunting yeah. and we did a Wyoming pronghorn actually DIY. Oh, nice. That was a blast. I'm doing that this year. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mentioned that cause I, I oh, okay, listened yeah. to your podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a blast. Definitely bring a long, you know, a, a distance setup yeah. because there's places where you can get some long shots in that, that are pretty cool. Did you guys fill some um, tags? We were just going after does. What's that? Did you guys fill some tags? We did, yeah. I think all of us left with a doe. Okay. Uh, and, what unit and, were you in? Do you remember? We were by, you know, I have to look on my map. That's okay. Just curious. Uh, to see. I just put my application in, so I was just. Yeah, it was like curious. west of, uh, I believe Casper. Okay. Is where we were. Yeah, yeah. Um, so out out in the plains, like on just on on public land. There's a lot of stuff out there that is. Like if you look on the map, there's a lot of public land, but there's also a lot of private land that surrounds it. And like yeah. there's dudes sitting there during season, like not letting you in. So yeah. just FYI, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there, there's probably a little bit less public land or, you know, or accessible public land yeah. out there than when you're first looking at the map. So, yeah, man, um, that's, that's really good stuff. Um, I had a couple like, other little points I just wanted to, to hit with you and they might be kind of random, but, um, so, you know, I let myself get to a point where, like you said, you, you heard my first podcast, so you might have some background up. I let myself get to a point where I was basically useless as far as being able to 
you know, protect my family because, you know, I was basically useless even for myself. Like I was such in a bad place, but you know, with the, the Lord's help and, and, and a lot of discipline and hard work, I was able to get myself to a place where I have that baseline of fitness kind of covered. Um, but I still would like to get into, um, some martial arts or, or some kind of, um, like I think you say combatives training, where would you recommend guys to start once they kind of get that initial fitness piece, at least, you know, fairly well underway, where would you start in terms of martial arts from there? Cause like you said, there's tons of just after school, you know, program, you know, you don't want to be like the only adult in there with like eight year olds and stuff, you know? So like, what, what would you recommend? So, so all, all of my combatives come from five or six different disciplines, basically wrestling, uh, Western boxing, Thai boxing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Sayakali, and Etienne Uh So if you can do any of those systems, or better yet, do all of those systems, that, that would be ideal. Uh, if you're in the Va Beach area, go train with Gustavo Machado. Uh, he's my teacher, you know, my jiu-jitsu teacher for many, many years. Well, still, still my teacher, even though we're not co-located yeah. anymore. Uh you know, f- phenomenal school, great guys, good, good dynamic there. Go there. Uh, if you can get involved with wrestling, like, especially with, with kids, like it's a, it's a good option to get the kids some, some, re- some actual wrestling training, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, th- I think you transition them over to the jujitsu uh, a little bit later in life. There's just some, you know, wrestlers approach things with a little bit different mindset than jujitsu guys do. And I think it's, it's really valuable to have both. Of both of the the components of the mindset uh go if you've never been punched in the face before go join a boxing jump <laughs> you don't need to become a professional boxer but committing maybe six months to you know going to the boxing gym two or three nights a week and sparring once a week will do amazing things for you because we, we all do stupid stuff when we're not trained Right. We, we look away, we try and put our chin up when we're fighting. Like, I mean, it's just, it, it's just what all untrained people do right. when, or almost all untrained people, that's what they do when they, when they attempt to fight without training. Yeah. So what we need to do is, is train ourselves so that now, you know, when, you know, after you've spent some time in a ring with guys actually punching you in the face on, you know, <laughs> cause it's not hard if you, if you don't box, the guy that boxes will punch you in the face pretty much at will. Uh, and then eventually you learn, okay, this is what I need to do to not get punched in the face as much. And then, and then I'm going to throw some heat back at him. You know, I'm going to make him pay a little bit. And now I'm going to, I'm going to send some, some offensive things so that I'm keeping him at bay. And all these things are really valuable lessons. In my opinion, worth the, you'll probably have a headache on sparring days. Yeah. It, it's worth having a headache once a week for a couple months to, to get yourself into that position where I'm not going to turn away when someone's throwing punches at my face. Yeah. Uh, where you can come in, you can shield and counter punch all those things. Uh, very, very valuable. Uh, blade stuff, you know, find a sock or at the end training group that's, that's close to you and do, do blade training with those guys. I mean, for, I think a, a lot of times in our, in, in terms of martial systems in the States that they, they do it backwards. They yeah. do, oh, we're going to teach you all these empty hand techniques. And then once you've mastered those, we'll, we'll talk about weapons. Well, if you, if you think about 
if you were teaching, you have how many kids now? Two. Two. Okay. We'll use my children as an example, <laughs> since I don't know your kids. My daughter's 13. If she knew all of the techniques that all of my teachers combined knew, she doesn't beat you or me right. in a confrontation with no tools. Right. As soon as you put a blade in her hand, she beats, she can beat you. <laughs> right. Not, I mean, not, it's no, not yeah. guaranteed, but like I she has the, she then has the capability, you know, and she'll have to use speed, surprise and violence of action in order to win. But, but if you're thinking, I'm just going to grab this 13 year old and she, you know, feigns, no, please, please, please. And she's loaded with a blade in her hand and you grab her and she pops your carotid. Like she went. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so weapons-based training is the way to go like that's you know as as a man you should be able to throw a punch you should be able to take a punch all those things but as a actually being able to protect yourself and your family it you should start with weapons-based training start with the The easiest weapon that you're going to do the most damage with is going to be a pistol yeah right you can have it on you all the time you can poke holes in people from it depends on how good you are yeah. Like how, you know, how far away you can use the thing, you know, responsibly. Yeah. Uh, and then the next would be a blade. It's a, you know, better than most impact weapons. They're small, very concealable and you know, not any less lethal. Right. If you're inside a stand up grappling range and someone produces a blade and knows what they're doing, high likelihood that you're not going to walk away from that. Mm, yeah. Uh, and also a very inexpensive tool. Mm-hmm. right they're 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 cheap you can get them ever, anywhere so doing weapons-based stuff and then thinking about it in terms of okay if my if my family's out and about like you know my five-year-old was punching me earlier today and i'm working on his punches but it doesn't really matter where he punches me it doesn't hurt me right and unless he punches me in the throat and then it hurts me a little bit <laughs> but not like yeah even then it's like you know like it's not fight stopping when he does that right but with tools it, it changes things so oh, yeah. you know i would say do the it's a higher level when to not have to use tools but you should know how to use tools first because it gives you more capability faster okay. by being able to use tools okay um one thing i wanted to ask you about um which i think your military training there's some application you know since hunting is a big part of this show um, is target panic. And I'm sure that I don't know firsthand, obviously, but I'm sure that exists in the military world. It absolutely exists in the hunting world. Um, I'm sure there's probably some useful tools you may have learned to deal with target panic. I'm talking about more long range, you know, rifle kind of stuff. What would you say about that? I mean, the biggest thing is just reps, getting reps in and then getting reps with you catalog your cold bore shots. I, I do one of the things we'll do in some of the classes I teach is a cold bore drill where you set it up and I, I will set it up on purpose so that, you know, I'll, I'll talk through it. I'll have people visualize loved ones. I make everyone shoot it in front of everyone else. So one guy at a time. So you see if you miss, like everyone sees it. So it's, it's really a way to ramp up some pressure. I can't do it on, I can't put that kind of pressure when I shoot by myself. Right. But when I'm shooting in front of 14 students, I can put that, you know, like the pressure gets ramped up. Yeah. And also for each one of the students, the pressure gets ramped up because they also, you know, everyone is peer aware and doesn't want to look like an idiot, right. which we can use that to our advantage. So 
you know, whether you do it in front of peers or not, but just going, okay, like, I think my max effective, you know, if you're going to go out West, like there's guys shooting, there's guys shooting really far now, Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little further than I think is responsible, Yeah, but like there's guys, you know, so I would feel comfortable five, 600 yards on, you know, on deer size critters. Uh, if, if that's what you feel comfortable with, the next time you go to the range, set up a 600 yard shot and your first shot, hit or miss it's cold bore shot that's you know and then note that okay you know keep a dope book right another military term data on previous engagements so you write down okay on whatever day these were the ambient conditions out and i shot at a whatever antelope size target and i was three inches high note it and, and the more you do that, the more it will give you confidence when it is time to make that shot. Also having a checklist, right? Especially if we're talking dis- the distance game, mm-hmm. right? It's not just shoot or it, it cracks me up. I've, I've had guys tell me they've made these impossibly long shots and I'm, I'm a pretty believing person. So I tend to believe <laughs> people when they do that. Yeah. And then when I asked them what their dope was and the guy was like, what does that mean? <laughs> And I'm like, what was your hold? Like how many mils high or like, what did you dial? And they're like, I just held over the top and pulled the trigger. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, you know, I'm, I'm fairly trusting. So like, like, I believe you. However, that was, that was a guess. Like you got lucky. Yeah. If you want to actually be professional at doing this, you have to understand ballistics, right? Which means there's a checklist, right? I have to know what my range is to the target. I have to know what my come ups are, right? How whole, how high am I going to dial my my turrets up, right? Uh, or how high am I holding within my glass, right? If I've got a drop down reticle or I've got some sort of BDC, how high am I holding? Yeah. What is the wind doing? How stable is my position? That's another thing. Is guys think, oh yeah, I can shoot out to six hundred yards. Okay. Well, under what conditions? Well, when I'm laying down using my bipod and a rear bag. Okay. That's great. How often is that an actual field condition? Right. In Wyoming where you're going more so. Right. But a lot of times it's like, Hey, you got to shoot off a tripod. Yeah. You got to shoot, you know, out of, you know, over the hood of a vehicle. Um, you've got to make, you know, you've got to build a position out of a tree. Uh, and so, okay. Well, what, how, how stable can I build this position under these circumstances? What what would be true field circumstances? Do I understand the concepts of, you know, most important thing is you support the front end of the gun. Next important thing is the rear of the gun. So if I can tie the front of my gun in, or I've got a rail or something like that. So the front of my gun is completely supported. Right. It does me no good to have my, you know, my other strong hand up forward like that. Cause it's not stabilizing. It might stabilize for faster, Recall man or recall management for faster follow-up shots, but it's not actually increasing my accuracy at all. Right. So now I need to do rear knee up and build this position in the back. So I'm supporting the back of it better. Yeah. And I might get to the point where I'm like, okay, this is as steady as I can get. And my crosshairs are still dancing from, you know, two inches of daylight over the over the critter's back to two inches in front, in which case you need to have the maturity to go. Mm, this isn't the shot that for me to make right now. Right. Either stock closer or build your position better yeah take that fancy backpack off yeah and get it underneath you and use that as a rear bag yeah right and build your position so that now okay now i can see my crosshairs are 
there's you know they're very rarely are they going to be completely stable sure but if my crosshairs are moving around within the kill zone of my critter okay yeah that's i'm probably going to take that shot then as long as you know conditions are good sure and i have good good dope on my setup like all that and then you know again mental checklist did i have i do i know what my range is have i dialed the dope on my weapon am i stable enough right or my crosshairs stable yeah and then all right put the weapon on fire deep breath in all the way out squeeze 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 let the shot surprise you get on it right away right because uh I've had plenty of times where I've shot and I've needed follow-up shots either because I missed or I, you know, my first shot did not get the job done. Right. So I've learned, I, you know, I shoot, I see, I shuck that bolt right away and I'm ready to send another one. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess like, you know, in the hunting world, I'm sure you're familiar with like the phrase buck fever, right? Yeah. I can only imagine it's probably, 10 times or whatever, a lot worse with a two-legged target. So what is like, what are the, what do they teach in the military about that? Like when, you know, your heart is pumping on that shot. I mean, guys, so guys will talk about breathing stuff, but I like, honestly, it's much more, uh, well, number one, I, I don't think it's necessarily like, you know, there's times where your heart's pumping more, but it's not always like, you know, when it's time to put sights or lasers on target, like you're just doing at that point. Like there's not a whole lot of like, Oh man, I'm thinking, you know, like, no, this is, you know, at this point it is now the conditioned correct response. Yeah. Cause there's a dude with a gun right there. Like I've already thought through everything else. I've shortened the chain as much as possible. I've thought through my willingness. I've thought through what are the rules of engagement. So now we're on target and I am act, act, you know, hunting in a certain sector and, you know, a target appears bang. Like there's no, gotcha. you're not thinking through stuff at that point. Like the, the times where I'm, where I've had more like, you know, you're nervous is, is when you're sneaking in on a place either, you know, you're, you're trying to get to a target and you're like moving past people that are sleeping, you know, yeah. a yard or two away from you. Um, or you're, you know, you're creeping up on people as they're sleeping. Like that's, that's much more when you're like, okay. <laughs> you know, like yeah. when everything is still quiet and you're trying to keep it quiet before things go kinetic. Yeah. Dang, that's intense. Um, what are your thoughts on 6.5 Creedmoor for hunting? Yes. Great. <laughs> Great cartridge. Uh, I was just telling one of my friends to get a six, five creed more. Nice. Uh, it's man for, so for years and years, I would say, Hey, if you want to get in the distance game, you know, the, everyone, every American should own a 308. And I still agree that every American should own a 308 because it's kind of, you know, that and, and an AR kind of America's, you know, guns and cartridges. Uh, but man, the six, five just does so much more stuff better than a 308 does. I mean, it cuts your wind calls almost in half. You will consistently shoot further, like three to 400 yards further than you will with a 308. The, uh, you know, that's kind of my, when, when guys ask me, Hey, I, I want to come to a precision rifle course and I'm, I'm going to get a rifle specifically for a precision rifle class. Uh, six, five Creed is it, it's immediately my answer now because and, and I've, I've 
prove this out. I've had students that had never shot beyond 200 yards on day one. They're topping out between 12 and 1400 yards Ooh. of a precision rifle class Dang. with equipment. That's that's like $2,000 in equipment. So not like, I mean, not inexpensive, but also not, you know, 20 years ago, all that stuff would have been three or four times as much yeah. to, to get the same distance. And the fact that you can go, you know, during normal times, not, not right now, like, cause we've got a serious ammunition shortage going on in the country right, right now, but during normal times, I can go to my local big box gun store and they will have 10 or 12 different flavors of accurate six, five Creedmoor yeah. at a cost that is comparable, if not cheaper to match grade 308. Yeah. And then they're making like, especially like, uh, they're making hunting rounds that fly almost the same as the ELDM, you know, match rounds that guys are shooting matches with. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, probably wouldn't be my first choice. So I was going after elk. I still prefer, you know, wind mag for that. Uh, but for everything below that, I, I think it's a great cartridge, mild recoiling, mm -hmm. uh, very flat shooting, great BC. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Solid. who, uh, my hunting partner who I went to Alaska with and going to Kodiak with this year, he's a swick. Oh, he just got out a year ago, but he was a swick and he, okay. he, uh, he recommended the, the Creed more. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I just invested in a, a pretty, pretty nice backcountry rifle in that, that cartridge. Um, and it's cause a lot of the things you said, um, and the big thing was, so I went with Weatherby and most of their rifles are, you know, that proprietary Weatherby rounds and stuff. But I, yeah. and I do normally prefer a 30 caliber, but I went with this one because of my buddy's recommendation and like you said, ammo availability, like at the end of the day, I didn't want to have to like special order Weatherby rounds and pay like $3 a round. Like I want to be able to go grab yeah. a few boxes at the store if I have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can go into any of the Cabela's or any of the, I mean, shoot, they have it at Walmart. Yeah, exactly. Six, five, three more ammo at Walmart now. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's a pretty, uh, yeah. So, and then honestly, like it's, it's usually better if you buy ammo online. Yeah. Like you, you'll normally get better deals. Yeah. Just. Um, do you, do you allow guys to do your long range rifle courses with like hunting rifles or do they have to have like some sort of sp specific type of setup? I would, I have had guys take classes with, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to sign up for a class and you want to bring your daddy's hunting rifle, like, <laughs> I'm not going to not let you shoot the class, but I tell guys what you should have is, and I'll even let guys shoot all the way down to a five, five, six gun. Now, if you want to bring an accurate AR, that's fine. Like you'll save some money on ammo. You won't shoot quite as far as everyone else. Well, again, it depends on ammo type. Uh, but the, the main thing that I want to convey during a precision rifle class is understanding minutes and mills, understanding dialing dope, understanding shooting holds and reading the wind. Reading the wind is like a, that's the graduate level program. That's the thing that's going to take you your whole life. Yeah. Um, you know, to be at a, at a proficient level. Uh, but the other stuff is, you know, we can teach that in, in a couple of days. And so if you did have a, you know, say your old, you know, 
loophole scope or some Simmons scope or something that does not have finger adjustable turrets on it and doesn't have uh, any kind of holdovers in your crosshairs, uh, you know, on your reticle, then really you're just going to be, you'll learn what your holdovers are and you're going to top off top out pretty pretty early yeah so i would recommend hey even like even if you didn't want to spend the money on a whole new rifle setup like you can get the in vortex is now selling a first focal plane like five to 25 mil mil scope with a ebr 2c reticle and so drop down reticle you know with mil half mil hash marks wind dots on it like for like 400 bucks hmm retail yeah i mean that's crazy how how inexpensive that is yeah uh you know so that's what i would recommend i mean if you're you're spending money on a class like you want to get the most out of it that you can yeah uh so i would recommend guys do that like if i came out there with my so i got a weatherby backcountry in 6.5 creed and i got a, a pretty decent scope with drop down reticle on there i mean it's a Swarovski Z5, 5 to 25. Could I do a P, uh, precision rifle course with that? 100%. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that, you know, I'd love to do the pistol course too, but um, as far as hunting goes, I feel like that one has the best translation, the rifle course. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, precision rifle class, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, oh, last question. The modern Minuteman thing. So this is something you kind of yes. developed – just real quick, like real quick, tell people what the modern minimum thing is. And what I wanted to ask is, have you ever thought about doing some kind of online certification or like testing? So like, you know, like, for example, I could complete this and whatever, and then like become a modern Minuteman, like certified or something. <laughs> um, yes and no. So first off the, the modern Minuteman concept. So there's a race called the Sniper Adventure Challenge Race. It's been in Wyoming the last couple of years. Uh, one of my friends uh, goes by the name of Chainsaw. Him and I did this race three years in a row. It's a great race. It's basically 36 hours of lots of land navigation. You know, be prepared to shoot, you know, pistols up close all the way out to like 1,500 yards. Uh, be prepared to be zip tied and hooded and like... <laughs> do Kim's games and like all these crazy, okay, you're going to wade out into like a freezing cold stock pond and make a shot while you're floating. Oh, like there's like crazy stuff that they come up with, but mostly like it's, you got to be able to walk and you got to be able to shoot and, you know, and make water and like all this stuff while you're, while you're doing it. So one of my local buddies wanted to do this race and he was looking for a part of his two man teams. And so I had pretty much gone through my whole Rolodex of, potential guys and generally like i would say hey man you know you need to be prepared to walk 40 to 60 miles with a 40 to 60 pound pack on you know and shoot zero to 1500 yards and you know play some play some games what do you think oh and you got to pay money to do this as well and most guys just like would laugh at you yeah and or they'd be like no man like that's what i did at work like i don't want to do that stuff anymore yeah and so I was maybe leaking a little bit to my buddy Chainsaw, like, man, it's hard to find. It's hard to find guys that can do that. He goes, yeah, modern Minuteman stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm going to use that term yeah. because that 
that really encompasses that. So as I sat down and wrote, and, and if you guys want to get into this more, I've got an article on this at, on antechshooting.com. Uh, but as I started looking at it, we have different levels. So we've got responsible armed citizen. That's a guy that has a baseline level of training, has increased situational awareness, uh, can throw a punch, can take a punch, and understands how to use a pistol and use a blade. Basically, if you have that level of skill, you're, you have the ability to influence things within about 20 to 25 yards of you. The next one would be the follow me level. And that's, you have, you can do carbine work and you have the fitness level to carry 10 to 15 pounds and walk for four or five miles and then still be functional. Now, now you can affect things in your neighborhood. Think, you know, all the crazy rioting, you know, crazy stuff going on. Okay. We need to go help my neighbor out a mile down the road. You three guys come with me. Right. So that's the follow me level. The next one would be the modern Minuteman level. And that's ability to navigate now on your own, you know, 30, 40 miles, carry that 25 to 30 pound pack, shoot out to, you know, 800 to a thousand, uh, work some comms in there with that, work your medical stuff. Uh, and then, and then be able to build the guys below you. Mm-hmm. And then the last uh, level would be the advanced modern minute man. Or I think on my article, I called it the, the Jedi level of modern <laughs> minute man, but basically you're, you're basically doubling everything you're going. Okay. Now you need to be able to move 60 miles. Um, now you're making your own ammunition. Now you're shooting out to 2000 yards. Now you're doing HF comms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, and then still, and then you can do it in all the different environments. So you can go out and you can ski the distance and move. You can do it in the desert. Wow. You can do it all over, you know, any, any environment that you might find yourself in, you need to be able to do it in. And then also you still need to be able to produce the guys behind you, right? You need to be able to produce other yeah. modern men, other follow me level guys, other responsible. Are you at the Jedi level? I would just call it advanced <laughs> modern men. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I, that's what I should be. At. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, yeah, I, if yeah. I wasn't, if I wasn't doing that, like, you know, you should go train with someone else. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, and not saying, I mean, there's, there's guys that are way better sure, distance sure. shooters than me. There's guys that are better than me at, at, at pretty much all the different aspects of it. But right? the well-rounded I just, my type thing package. Is, I think you should be able to, to pull it all together and do all of it. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, I really love that concept and you should think about, making some kind of certification that'd be cool okay so yeah that was that was the second part so <laughs> we i have a modern minuteman course oh, okay it's an open enrollment course where we teach basically a day of precision rifle shooting or i call it precision rifle light uh or actually it's a morning of precision rifle light then we do an afternoon of intro to map and compass and gps navigation and then i actually have guys running around doing navigation uh, and then on day two, it's a competition because that's how guys learn is generally when they're skinning the game Sure. of, okay, we're going to, you're going to move. And I mean, up to, you know, five or six hours and there's going to be some, some shooting involved. Uh, you know, there's going to be just different skills involved, different backcountry skills involved during, uh, these, you know, this, this race portion of it, uh, so we do have that. Cool. The hard thing with that has been finding locations where we can do it. Yeah. Because you kind of need rolling hills. 
you want something that will show up terrain wise on a map on a one to 24, but not show up so much that guys get lost forever and, and die if they fall down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, not, not good for business when, no. when guys are, are dying. Uh, <laughs> so, so we have that. And then on the, the online thing, we're actually working on a, on a project uh, it's called Amtech training. And it's going to be not quite as broad as you were saying, or at least initially not quite as broad. It's going to be four guys that I've already trained with that want to be deliberate and continue nice. their education. But because basically the way kind of within, you know, there's probably, there's, there's a bunch of guys that do what I do. Um, you know, we go around the country and we teach guys and a lot of the guys that are my students, you know, they'll train with me. They'll train with Kyle DeFore, They'll train with JD Patinsky. You know, they'll train with like the, the good guys that are, that are on the circuit right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, we'll train together. I'll watch them. I'll say, okay, yeah, you need to work on this. You need to work on this. Uh, and then it's, oh yeah, we'll see you next year. <laughs> like I'll be back next June. And, and then, so there's really no, there's not a path forward for guys to get better. Yeah. So with Amtac training, what the goal is, is initially it's only going to be opened up to current students. So guys have trained with me, you know, within the last few years uh, and it will be a, I'm going to put out curriculum every month, but then it's not just going to be, you're doing this in a bubble. This is the, the training groups will be started in locations where I already have courses. Gotcha. So the idea will be, Hey, the Bob each crew, you guys get together the second Saturday of every month at nine in the morning and you train for a couple hours. I'm going to have curriculum. I'll be teaching through stuff. Uh, There'll be stuff that you're doing that you've done in classes before. There'll be new stuff that you're learning and it'll be a different focus each month. We'll do carving stuff. We'll do pistol combative stuff. We'll do force on force stuff. We'll do navigation stuff, precision rifle stuff. Like, so some of that you might not even have any background in. So there'll be some classroom stuff that is taught online. Uh, and then you go train and then there'll be a, a social aspect of it. You know, I'm, I'm big into the idea of, you know, build tribe relationships don't just happen. Yeah. They, they happen because we have shared worldviews, we have common interests, and then we share hardship. Uh, and then we have food together. I mean, that, that's how you build relationships with mm-hmm. people. So there will also be a deliberate, hey, the expectation is after we train together, you guys have a barbecue or you all go out to eat someplace. Like, so there's that aspect as well. That's and cool. then I'll teach probably one or two other classes per month. So that's something... And the guys that the guys that follow me will, will laugh because we've been working on this for the last year. But hopefully, uh, within the next few months, we will have that up and running. Cool, as well. man. That's awesome. Well, hopefully, I can do one of your courses sometime. That sound awesome. I really hopefully I can. It'd do be that. great to have you out. Yeah, man. I'd love to. Um, so, where can people find you if they're interested in getting into one of your courses or ordering a blade? Amtechshooting.com. Yeah, Amtechshooting.com for any of the training and then amtacblades.com for our uh for our blades we are on facebook and instagram also amtac shooting and amtac blades so follow us we we uh yeah we don't advertise so very little advertising so uh it's all it's all spread word of mouth yeah yeah I, i follow you on social media and you guys post some cool stuff on there so definitely check that out uh amtac shooting and amtac blades And, uh, yeah, man, this has been really cool. I appreciate your time, man.
Excellent. Been great to catch up a little bit. Good seeing you. You're looking well. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's great seeing you too. And uh, we'll be in touch, man. And uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks again for listening to Hunter's Quest Podcast. And make sure you stay up to date on Instagram at huntersquest underscore with pictures and videos from the stories we tell here and just my day-to-day, as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're going to be having on here. I'm also more than happy to answer any questions you guys might have, whether it's about hunting or spiritual stuff or fitness or gear. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to stay on this journey with me, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. It helps me out big time. So yeah, shoot me a message anytime, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you and continuing this quest together.